Well, how many of you all are glad you came to church this morning? I'm so glad to be here. Um, I love talking about what, what we just did. Um, if you have never been on a mission trip, I highly recommend you doing that simply to experience faith and experience the call of God in a context outside of this Disneyland we call America. Um, this, uh, this series that we're in right now, just started last week, is based off of 2 Peter. It's not on the screen, um, but um, uh, it says this. In 2 Peter, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, to mutual affection, love. There's, there's this progression that, that, that the Apostle Peter wants us, to, wants us to grow, and these are seven habits of a God-first Christian. And that's the basis for this. So we're in part two, which is goodness. And like, like uh, Donovan said, the main thing is when Christians compromise with the world, they find out that the world does not return the favor. Now, in order to uh, fully understand this, we need to go to that brilliant philosopher, Calvin and Hobbes from the, from the 80s cartoon, the, the best comic strip ever. If you guys pull this up, uh, Calvin and Hobbes, uh, obviously in January, are talking, and they say this, how are you doing on your New Year's resolutions? Calvin said, oh, I, don't, I didn't make any. He said, see, in order to improve oneself, Calvin says, one must have some idea of what's good. That implies certain values. But as we all know, values are relative. Every system of belief is equally valid, and we need to tolerate diversity. Virtue isn't better than vice. It's just different. Hobbes says, I don't know if I can tolerate that much tolerance. And Calvin says, I refuse to be victimized by notions of good behavior. Now, this was almost 40 years ago being said. It was an observation of life. And like Calvin said, so many of us believe that the word good is up to us. We think that we can decide what is good and what is, what is evil. We think that in, in our arrogance as humans, that we don't need to listen to God, that we can determine what is good and what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. And, uh, and this, is, this is nothing new. When I was in youth ministry in 2005, a groundbreaking study came out, and nothing's changed. As a matter of fact, it's gotten worse. It's a 2005 study of the religious beliefs of American teenagers. And show that it showed overwhelming that, that Christianity was not the default religion. It was not the majority religion. Um, it was something that researchers called moralistic therapeutic deism. Everybody say that moralistic therapeutic deism. That is the default of American of, of American religion. It is not Christianity. People are not Christians. Uh, the, the, when, when, when people uh, in America, the default is not Christianity. It is moralistic therapeutic deism. Well, what is that? Well, this is the belief system that the default person in America is working under. Okay? It says this. This is the tenets of moralistic therapeutic deism. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. That's so far so good. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? All right, second one, the central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. That's the central goal of life. To the moralistic therapeutic deism, that is the highest good. To be happy and feel good about oneself. The third one is this. God isn't involved in life except to help you with your problems. Moralistic therapeutic deism, MTD, basically relegates God to a counselor, like a divine therapist or a cosmic butler who kind of serves you, makes you, helps you with your problems, but doesn't dare ever tell you what to do. 
or make demands or, or say this is right and this is wrong. God wouldn't ever do that because, well, because he doesn't do that. He just serves us. That's what moralistic therapeutic deism says. And the fourth tenet, it says good people go to heaven when they die and everybody's good. Almost everybody's good. Okay? This, if you are not, if you are not a, 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 a hardcore studier of the Bible, if you are not completely sold out to your faith, this is what you believe. This is what most teenagers, this is what most 20-somethings, what most people believe. They are not Christians. They're more than they're to Adidas. And it's 2 Corinthians um, uh, 4, verse 4, Paul writes this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay, see, what moralist therapeutic says is that you're okay, I'm okay, that the, the, only, the, the, the biggest, greatest good is for you to be happy and feel good about yourself. And if someone is making you unhappy, if someone's making you not feel good about yourself, if someone dare says that this is good or this is, uh, this is evil, then that is the worst thing you can do. That is the only sin of, in moralist therapeutic deism is to say that something's wrong. Okay? Now, parents... Barring a major work of grace in your home, this is what your kids believe. I can't stress this enough. This is what Americans believe. So when you talk to an American about God, this is what they think. This is the default understanding. When you say God loves you or, or, or God died for you, they aren't thinking the Jesus of the Bible. They're thinking more like therapeutic deism. Okay, well, obviously God died for me because I'm just that good. Okay. That is what, now Christianity tells us something completely different. When, um, when uh, the, a very, very popular newspaper about 100 years ago uh, asked uh, several people, what is wrong with the world? And they had all types of professors and pastors and everything writing in. Well, G, uh, Pastor G.K. Chesterton said this. This was his answer. What is wrong with the world today? Dear sirs, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. That is what Christianity says. Christianity does not, make, uh, uh, does not claim that the, the goal is for us to be happy and feel good about ourselves. The, goal, the Christianity says, no, we're all lost, we're broken, and we need a Savior named Jesus Christ. I'm not okay. You're not okay. okay that is, Christianity has a radically different stand, starting point, and we have to understand this if we're going to embrace goodness, because goodness in moralistic therapeutic deism is whatever you want it to be. It is whatever you think is good. It is you. You are the determiner of what is good and bad. And that is not Christianity. And, uh, radically different. The Christian worldview says this. This is in contrast to the default religious mindset of America. Number one is this. The Christian worldview. Number one, that God created the world and pronounced it good. God is our creator. He, 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 he pronounced it good. When he created you, he pronounced it good. When he created me, pronounced it good. When God created all of, of the heavens and the earth, he pronounced it good. Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Well, so good, so, so far, so good. But the second tenet of the Christian worldview is this, is that humans wrecked it by bringing sin into the world, and all creation was marred beyond human ability to restore. Okay? That is what sin did to this world. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband and who was with her, and he ate it. This is known as original sin. This destroyed the goodness of God's creation. It marred it. It, it broke it. Uh, I can't stress this enough, that now because of this, 
creation is fallen. We are not good. We are, we are sinful. We, we, are, we are broken. We are lost. That's what the Christian worldview says. And until you understand that, you will never understand why Jesus came to this earth. We have no idea, you have no idea until you understand that you are broken and, 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 and evil beyond repair. And the whole, all creation is. We'll never understand why next month we celebrate Christmas. Why in, in five months from now we celebrate Easter. Why any of that was necessary. Okay, the only reason Jesus came to earth at Christmas and died on a cross at Easter is because of this second tenet, that we wrecked God's creation beyond imagine, and we are broken beyond repair, beyond human ability to repair, okay? Now, that is not a, that is not a popular position to take in America today because moralistic therapeutic deism says, I'm okay, I'm good. God needs to serve me because I'm just all that, Okay? So a moralistic therapeutic deist sees no need for the cross, sees no need for redemption, no need for the resurrection, no need for Jesus. And the problem is, is that moralistic therapeutic deism has invaded the church. Barring a major work of grace right now, there are moralistic therapeutic deists in here today that don't like being told that creation is broken, that we are evil, that we need a savior, that our default position without Jesus is hell. People don't like hearing that because we are moralistic, therapeutic, deists, not Christians. Understand? So we, I'm calling us to change today. When we were in India, uh, there, there was a, a, a very short video, very short clip of some rocks. Um, very, very short. I didn't really get a chance to show it. But that rock formation was the god of that tribe. They worshipped rocks. And if you, if you saw, there was actually an offering, a shot of alcohol that was made as an offering to this god, this rock that the tribe worshipped. And this offering of alcohol, Ravi told me, was most likely put there by a, a woman who was desiring uh, to have a child. Maybe she was not able to get pregnant, so she made an offering to this rock, left alcohol there, thinking that somehow giving alcohol to their God would bless her with a child. And I thought to myself, that, how do I even communicate the gospel to people who believe that? Now, I want you to understand this. The moralistic therapeutic deism is as far from Christianity as that rock. Understand that. That is, they are so, they are so far apart. Um, and, and so that, that is... It's not just this nice little tenet of Christianity. It's not. It's a completely religion, different, a different religion altogether. And so the third part of the Christian worldview is this. Is this. By Jesus' death and resurrection, creation is restored to its original design. See, the work of Christ is a restoration. It, we, we were created good, and then we blew it. We broke it. We destroyed it. And then Jesus redeems it to where it was originally uh, made to be. The death of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, restores you and I, not, not ourselves, but restores you and I to how God created us to be. That is the need for Jesus Christ. And until you understand your loss, you can never be saved. That's the Christian worldview. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Okay, so what does this have to do about goodness? What, what does this have to do? Why are you telling me this? Well, this is why. 
Because if, unless you are a blood-bought Christian, your concept of good is whatever you want it to be. And, and uh, we've seen the world results of that. We've seen what happens when lost, broken humanity tries to decide for itself what is good. Okay? We've seen that 80 years ago. A little government known as the Third Reich determined that the best good it could do be to slaughter six million people of Jewish descent. 20, 28 years ago, 19, 1994, I believe, 500,000 Tutsi minorities were murdered in the Rwandan genocide because the Hutus decided the greatest good they could, have, they could, they could perpetuate would be the destruction of their enemies. We've seen what happens when humans take it upon themselves to define what is good. We're terrible at it because we're broken, selfish, sinful people. And when broken, selfish, sinful people try to determine what is good, we blow it. We mess it up. But when you meet Jesus, this is what happens. The first thing is your definition of good changes drastically. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are not to conform to what this world says is good. We are not to, to do what Hollywood celebrities tell us to do. We are not to do what mass media tells us to do. We are not supposed to follow our college professors and our school teachers and, 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 and their, their thing and what is good. That is not our, our definition of good. We can no longer do that. God, God is calling us to not conform to the pattern of this world, but to be renewed by the trans, transforming of your mind and testing and proving what God's will is. Like I said, the world's had enough of humans determining what is good. Like I said, 80 years ago when the Third Reich did its horrific crimes, there were things after that known as the Nuremberg Trials, which interestingly enough was one of the largest um, evidences for God's objective standard of good. Uh, whenever I talk with atheists, one of, the, one of the things that, that I love bringing up is the Nuremberg Trials. The Nuremberg Trials were all of the Nazi war criminals that had not committed suicide were tried in Nuremberg. And they were pronounced guilty and many of them were, were, were executed for it. So I, when I ask atheists, what, why, what was the basis for the Nuremberg Trials? They said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, what laws were... It, it, you, you don't believe that God exists. You don't believe that God's uh, objective standard of good exists, right? Go, yeah, yeah, because God doesn't exist. I say, okay, well, then the highest authority in the world then is a world government. Is, it, it, can we agree on that? that? That governments, if there's no universal law made by God because God doesn't exist, then the highest level of, of authority is the individual sovereign nation state. And, and they're like, yeah. I said, well, then what laws were the Nazis judged by? And they said, well, they slaughtered six million people. I said, exactly. But they didn't break any laws. See, in Germany, Hitler and Eichmann and uh, uh, Himmler and Heydrich and all those, all those, all those you know, monsters, they followed German law to a T. They didn't break a single law. Because what they did was perfectly legal. 
So again, I ask you, what is the basis for the Nuremberg trials? To which they are forced to admit that there is a law higher than that of government. And the only lawgiver is God. And God determines that murdering six million people is wrong. And that is the law that the, that the Nazi war criminals were tried by. The, if, if there was no good standard laid out by God, then the Nuremberg trials were a farce. And they persecuted innocent victims known as Nazis because they did not break any laws instituted by government. So when you meet Jesus, your definition of good moves away from what you believe to be good, from your own way, and it shifts to God's way. So what does God say is good? If we're supposed to add to our faith goodness, what are we supposed to do? What are our marching orders? Well, uh, there are all kinds of things in the Bible that Jesus identifies as good. I've identified seven of them, and I'd like to share them with you, because these are the things I would love to see in my life as well as your life, okay? Jesus, when Jesus taught us what is good, then these are the things that I want to see in our church. In the, in, okay, number one is this. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbors yourself. That is what God determines that's ultimately good. So the greatest good that you can do today is to love God with everything that you are, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All your heart with all you feel. All your mind with all you think. All your soul with all that you believe and with your strength with all that you do. Those things, to love God with everything that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that is the ultimate good. Now, what does it mean to love God? That means to follow his ways. The the biggest, greatest love for God that you can show is to obey his commands. That's what 1 John tells us, right? So that is the greatest good. And already there are people saying, well, I don't know if that's the greatest good. Loving God with everything, I don't know if that's the greatest good. According to the Bible, it is. And that's what Christians identify as good. The second is this, the golden rule. To do to others as you would have others do unto you. You ever realize how amazing it would be if people did that? If people actually talked to their spouses the way that they want to be talked to? If people talked to their children the way they want to be talked to, if children talk to their parents, the way that they want to be talked to. I, I don't know about you all. I don't like being yelled at. Anybody here like being yelled at? Has anyone in their home, uh, you know, when a person starts insulting you or, or raising their voice, you're like, oh, you know what? I wasn't listening before, but now I see your brilliance. Now I see that you're right. I see the error of my ways. Since you called me names, I mean, I'm coming over to your way. Anybody ever done that? And unless you are gifted with a great sense of sarcasm, which a lot of y'all are, okay, uh, that won't happen. No. What Jesus tells us, he tells us to treat others as we want to be treated. What an amazing teaching. That is an amazing good. What would happen if we simply did that, you all? What if in our homes? What if in our church? What if in our interaction with people we simply treated people the way we want to be treated? When you go out to lunch today and you, 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 you order food, well, if you were the waiter, what kind of tip would you want? Well, tip them. Tip, give them the kind of tip you would want. Um, speak to the waiter. Speak to the waitress the way that you would like to be spoken to 
if you were in that situation. Tomorrow at work, tomorrow at school. Simply treat the people around you the way you want to be treated. It'll blow them away. It'll completely blow them away because they've never seen it. You know, it, it's, this, this is the golden rule, but, it, but it's kind of disappearing. It's an amazing good. The third thing, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his longest sermon found in Matthew 5 through 7. He tells us all kinds of stuff. It'll take you 12 minutes to read it. 12 minutes. Jesus' longest sermon, 12 minutes long. In it, he tells us that anger is the same as murder, you all. That lust is the same as adultery. He tells us that to become great, you have to become the servant of all. This is what Jesus says is good, you all. You see, it is such stark contrast to what we see out in the world. Um, the fourth thing that Jesus says is, is the greatest good is the call to be a disciple. Christians, you are not called to sit and pray a prayer, jump into the baptistry, and just kind of hang out till you die. That is not Christianity. You are called to be a disciple, to, to follow Jesus wherever he goes, to do the very things that Jesus would do if he had your life, your time, your money, your resources. That's what it means to be a disciple. Okay, that is what we are called to. That's what Jesus says is good. And when, G when Peter says, add to your faith goodness, he's talking about that. Okay, the fifth thing that Jesus tells us to do, and this is just something, man, I am having trouble with. He tells us to love our enemies, to pray for those that persecute us, to actually forgive, to actually let things go, to, to, to trust God, God's justice on things. Are you serious? That's what Jesus says is good. The sixth thing he tells us, he tells us to reject materialism. Jesus talked more about money and everything than he talked about anything else. And he constantly warned us about the lure of money and materialism and how it corrupts and how it causes us to do things and turns us into people that we never would have been. If you don't think money corrupts, goodness, look at our government, y'all. How much money it just determines everything. If you don't think that that is a corruption, then, then I, I don't know, I can't help you. And Jesus calls us away from that to something else which is better. And seventh, and this is the thing that I love, that you have a purpose to do greater things than Jesus. You're like, whoa, whoa, Dave, you're blaspheming. You say that you can do greater things than Jesus. Hey, those aren't my words. Those are Jesus' words. He said, if you, whoever follows me, will do what I've been doing, you'll do even greater things than me because I'm going to the Father. That's what Jesus said in John 14. You can look it up if you don't believe me. He, and he, his purpose for us to go into all the world to make disciples, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is called the Great Commission, that we have the Holy Spirit within you leading us and guiding us to do the very things Jesus would do if he had our lives, if he had our money, if he had our income, if he had our homes, if he had our families. That's what Jesus defines as good. Now, if any of those things are repulsive to you, if any of those things are like, no, no, I, I can't do that. That, that just doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't satisfy me at all, then I would doubt whether or not you have really become a Christian because the Christian surrenders his or her will to God and says, God, fill me and lead me and guide me, whatever you say, that's what I'll do. I'm not a moralistic, therapeutic deist. I'm not looking to feel good about myself. I'm not looking to be happy. I'm looking to follow you and be faithful to you. Okay, when you meet Jesus, everything, your definition of good changes. The second thing that happens when you meet Jesus is this. You see moralistic therapeutic deism for what it really is. And this is what I want to impress to you guys. 
I want to press this to you. 1 Timothy 1.3, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Yes, there are false doctrines everywhere, and moralistic therapeutic deism is the number one false doctrine. All right? When you meet Jesus, God opens your eyes to the truth. See, guys, if I were Satan, this would be my game plan. I wouldn't, try to, I wouldn't waste time trying to make people atheists. I really wouldn't, because that's a losing game. He knows that 98 plus percent of humans that have ever existed believe in God. We can't help it. It's written on our souls. Written on, we, Romans tells us that God can clearly be seen out in nature, that, that most people aren't going to buy the atheist thing. They're just not. Atheism is a dying, shrinking religion. No matter what the media is telling you, atheism is dying a slow, painful death all over the world right now. Okay? So Satan doesn't even waste his time trying to get us to be atheists. That's a losing ball game. That, that, that's, that's not good. So what he does instead is he tries to simply corrupt the Christian teaching, corrupt the truth, just move it just this far away so that we don't really, we don't really think that we're not following God. We're just kind of off this way and we move very slowly. If Christianity is going here and more or less therapeutic deism, see, the shift is really, really subtle. But as you go and go and go, you get further and further and further apart, but you don't notice it, kind of like the frog in the pot. You don't notice it because it happens slowly. And so if I were Satan, I would say, Christians, hey, believe in God. Take, the, take these certain parts of God and just make them your doctrine. You know, God would rather you wear your seatbelt in good, good grades you know, that's the kind of God I want you following, where he just kind of serves you, where he performs a miracle every now and then, where he does these things for you, but he doesn't call you to surrender. I mean, what God would do that? God wouldn't call you to change. God wouldn't call you, God, God wouldn't dare say that you're wrong or this belief is wrong. No, 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 no. No, he wouldn't do that. God is good. God is love. So we're just going to move it over here. That's what Satan does. And when you come face to face with Jesus, you realize how false and hollow and empty moralistic therapeutic deism really is. And you realize it is not Christianity. It's not even a subset of Christianity. It is a different religion altogether. So you're recovering moralistic therapeutic deists. I'm calling you today to Christianity. I'm calling you to biblical Christianity. I'm calling you to put away, like Joshua said, the false gods of this country and follow after Jesus Okay, MTD is a massive deception straight from the pit of hell, and we in America are falling for it right and left. We are. I served at a church where the only thing that you could ever do bad was tell someone that they weren't following Jesus. I was persecuted for it. I was criticized. I was cussed out by, by church leadership for daring to say that Jesus was the Son of God, that not everything was okay, that there was a thing as sin, and we need to call these young people from it. I was branded, uh, I, I was branded, I was shaming people, I was uh, judging, I was uh, not affirming people, and it had infected this entire church. And we have to make sure that that doesn't happen to us. The third thing, that Jesus, that when we meet Jesus, as we find out that good, the things that Jesus listed 
are worth fighting for. First Timothy 6, 11 through 12. But you, man of God, writing to Timothy, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I'm calling it church. I'm, I'm calling us to flee from moralistic therapeutic deism. It is a false religion. All right, flee from the redefinition of the word good in our lives. Young people, do not listen to the world. Do not listen to your college professors. Do not listen to your teachers. Do not listen to social media when they try to tell you what is good. Listen to the Bible and the Bible only. I'm calling you guys to do that right now. Parents, do the same thing. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Don't allow this culture to tell you what good is. Don't do it. God in his holy word defines what good is, and that's it. One of the things that God says is good is the Great Commission, and that is to preach the gospel to every tribe, nation, skin color, language, country, wherever. That's what he, that's what he calls, calls good, and that's why we went to India. Now, we went because God said for us to. <laughs> because to be obedient to God is the greatest good you can do. Hear that, church. To be obedient to God is the greatest good you can do. In the remote areas where we were, there were other people that were evangelizing. One of the things we didn't share up here was in the poor areas, most neglected, most, uh, most difficult places, there's a very strong communist element trying to recruit people into communism, trying to recruit the poor, the vulnerable into communism. One of the things that Ravi told us after we went and preached the gospel to these tribes was that there were communists that had infiltrated the tribes and were sitting there watching us. And if they didn't like what they heard, they were prepared to do violence. We didn't know this at the time. That had been nice knowing before. You know, that would have been nice, Ravi, but he didn't see the need to tell us that. Um, we were actually in very significant danger, we found out later. Because uh, if they didn't, like I said, they, they, were, they were prepared to, do, to react violently. And people will tell you, lie to you, especially you young people. People will lie to you and tell you the safest place for you is right in the middle of God's will. That's not true. Um, you look at the disciples, what happened to them. They were smack in the middle of God's will. Only one of them died a natural death. The center of God's will, the goodness of God, going after the goodness that God wants you to do make, may cost you. May cost your life, but it may cost you in America other ways. You may be a victim of social terrorism. You may be uh, you may be get a bad grade on a test. You may be denied a job. You may be uh, fired. You may be uh, uh, excluded from things because you're going after the goodness that God wants you to go after. Don't 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 buy this lie that if you follow Jesus, you're you're smack in the middle of God's will. That everything's going to be great. It's not. The question is. Do you have the faith and the courage to keep going after the goodness that God wants you to have? Do you have that? Because that's what we need. That's what we need a church full of courage and people who understand if I go after the goodness that God wants me to to go after, I'm going to have trouble. And a lot of Christians, that's why they're more or less therapeutic deists because, you know, that's not for me. I prefer my comfort. I prefer, uh, you know, kind of things. I, I prefer flying under the radar. So I'm just going to kind of back away from that goodness. Um, good is not always easy. Good can cost you. Adding goodness to your faith may put a big target on your back, and that's fine. 
That's fine. I want to end. I want to show you why this is so powerful. I want you to imagine that I've got a rope in my hands. And this rope, if I was to lay it out here, goes all the way to the back of the room. You guys visualize it here? I don't have a rope. Uh, I don't have it with me, but I want you to visualize it. Except for it goes out of the church, and it goes out of Nicholsville, and it goes out of the state of Kentucky, and it goes out of America, and it goes off into space, and it circles the world a million times, and then launches out into space for all eternity. You guys got a, got a concept of that rope? Okay, and then I grab the end of the rope here, and this part of that rope, I, I wrap with tape. You guys see it? Okay, you guys see, I've wrapped it with tape, and the, the, the rope is, you know, all, well, that rope is a timeline of your existence. The timeline of your existence. And this little taped off part is the part you spend on earth. Okay? Here you're born. Here you die. And the rest of it you spend in one of two places. Heaven or hell. And some of you are here. Kind of at the beginning. You've got a lot of, you know, a few years left. Some of you are here. You don't have much time left. We don't know. My son only lived 10 days. We're not guaranteed anything. But why would we spend so much of our lives trying to make this so good and easy and comfortable when we have the rest of this in one of two places? Let's keep this all in perspective. Let's go after the greatest good that we can go after simply because we have such a short time here. Let's stop trying to make ourselves comfortable and liked and popular and, and, ease, and, and live with ease in this microsecond of our existence we call this life. Instead, church, let's go after the good that God says is good. And let's spend the rest of our short moments on this planet doing what Jesus says is good. God bless you. I love you. We'll see you on Tuesday night, worship night.